Chapter Eight of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight, Arthur. All the time that Frank Tracy had been receiving his guests and trying to seem happy and at his ease, his thoughts had been dwelling upon his brother's telegram and the ominous words "Send someone to meet us." how slowly the minutes dragged until it was ten o'clock and he knew that john had started for the station to meet the dreaded us he had told everybody that he was expecting his brother and had tried to seem glad on account of it you and he were great friends i believe he said to squire harrington yes we were friends the latter replied but when he lived here my health was such that i did not mingle much in society i met him however in paris five years ago and found him very companionable and quite europeanized in his manner and tastes he spoke french or german altogether and might easily have passed for a foreigner i shall be glad to see him and so shall i chimed in peterkin whose voice was like a trumpet and could be heard everywhere a first-rate chap though we didn't use to hitch very well together he was all fired big feelin in them days peterkin was nowhere but circumstances alter cases he'll be glad to see me now no doubt and with the most satisfied air the millionaire put his hand as if by accident on his immense diamond pin and pulling down his swallow-tail walked away frank saw the faint smile of contempt which showed itself in squire harrington's face and his own grew red with shame but paled almost instantly as the outer door was opened by someone who did not seem to think it necessary to ring and a stranger in spanish cloak and broad-brimmed hat stepped into the hall arthur had come and was alone the train had been on time and at just half-past ten the long line of cars stopped before the shannondale station where john the coachman from tracy park was waiting the night was dark but by the light from the engine and the office john saw the foreign-looking stranger who sprang upon the platform and felt sure it was his man but there was no one with him though it seemed as if he were expecting someone to follow him from the car for he stood for a moment waiting then as the train moved on he turned with a puzzled look upon his face to meet john who said to him respectfully are you mr arthur tracy yes who are you was the response mr frank tracy sent me from the park to fetch you john replied i think he expected someone with you are you alone yes no no and arthur's voice indicated growing alarm and uneasiness as he looked around him where is she didn't you see her she was with me all the way surely she got off when i did where can she have gone he was greatly excited and kept peering through the darkness as he talked while john a good deal puzzled looked curiously at him as if uncertain whether he were in his right mind or not was there someone with you in the car he asked yes in the car and in new york and on the ship she was with me all the way mr tracy replied it is strange where she is now did no one alight from the train when i did no one john answered more puzzled than ever i was looking for you and there was no one else she may have fallen asleep and been carried by yes probably that is it mr tracy said more cheerfully she was asleep and carried by she will come back to-morrow he seemed quite content with this solution of the mystery and began to talk of his luggage which lay upon the platform a pile so immense that john looked at it in alarm knowing that the carriage could never take it all eight trunks two portmanteaus and a hat-box 
he said aloud counting the pieces yes and a nice sum those rascally agents in new york made me pay for having them come with me arthur rejoined they weighed them all and charged me a little fortune i might as well have sent them by express but i wanted them with me and here they are what will you do with them this is hers and he designated a black trunk or box longer and larger than two ordinary trunks ought to be i can take one of them with the box and portmanteau and the express man will take the rest he is here hello brown john said calling to a man in the distance who came forward and on learning what was wanted began piling the trunks into his wagon while arthur followed john to the carriage which he entered and sinking into a seat pulled his broad-brimmed hat over his face and eyes and sat as motionless as if he had been a stone for a moment john stood looking at him wondering what manner of man he was and thinking of the woman who he said had been with him in the train at last remembering a message his master had given him he began if you please sir mr tracy told me to tell you he was very sorry he could not come himself to meet you if he had known that you were coming sooner he would have done different but he did not get your telegram till this morning and then it was too late to stop it we are having a great breakdown to-night during the first of these remarks arthur had given no sign that he heard but when john spoke of a breakdown he lifted his head quickly and the great black eyes flashed a look of inquiry upon john as he said breakdown what's that a party a smasher mr tracy is running for congress was john's reply and then over the thin face there crept a ghost of a smile which faint as it was changed the expression wonderfully oh a party he said well i will be a guest too i have my dressing-suit in some of those trunks frank is going to congress is he that's a good joke drive on what are you standing there for the carriage door was shut and mounting the box john drove as rapidly toward tracy park as the darkness of the night would admit while the passenger inside sat with his hat over his eyes and his chin almost touching his breast as if absorbed in thought once he spoke to himself and said poor little gretchen i wonder how i could have forgotten and left her in the train what will she do alone in a strange place but perhaps heaven will take care of her she always said so i wish i had her faith and could believe as she does they had turned into the park by this time and very soon drew up before the house from every window of which lights were flashing while the sound of music and dancing could be distinctly heard i need not ring at my own house arthur thought as he ran up the steps and opening the door stepped into the hall and thus it was that the first intimation which frank had of his arrival was when he saw him standing in the midst of a crowd of people who were gazing curiously at him arthur he exclaimed rushing forward and taking his brother's hand welcome home again i did not hear the carriage though i was listening for it i am so glad to see you come with me to your room and he led the way upstairs to the apartment prepared for the stranger he had seen at a glance that arthur was alone unless indeed he had brought a servant who had gone to the side door and thus relieved from a load of anxiety he was very cordial in his manner and began at once to make excuses for the party repeating in substance what john had already said yes i know that fellow who drove me here told me 
arthur replied throwing off his coat and hat and beginning to lave his face and neck and hands in the cold water which he turned into the bowl until it was full to the brim and splashed over the sides as he dashed it upon himself all this time frank had not seen his face distinctly nor did he have an opportunity to do so until the ablutions were ended and arthur had rubbed himself with not one towel but two until it seemed as if he must have taken off the skin in places then he turned and running his fingers through his luxuriant hair which had a habit of curling around his forehead as in his boyhood looked full at his brother who saw that he was very pale and that his eyes were unnaturally large and bright while there was about him an indescribable something which puzzled frank a little it was not altogether the air of foreign travel and cultivation which was so perceptible but a something else a restlessness and nervousness of speech and manner as he moved about the room walking rapidly and gesticulating as he walked you are looking thin and tired are you not well frank asked oh yes perfectly well arthur replied only this infernal heat in my blood which keeps me up to fever pitch all the time i shall have to bathe my face again and going a second time to the bowl he began to throw the water over his face and hands as he had done before i'd like a bath in ice-water he said as he began drying himself with a fresh towel if i remember right there is no bathroom on this floor but i can soon have one built i intend to throw down the wall between this room and the next and perhaps the next so as to have a suite the second washing must have cooled him for there came a change in his manner and he moved more slowly and spoke with greater deliberation as he asked some questions about the people below will you come down by and by frank said after having made some explanations with regard to his guests no you will have to excuse me arthur replied i am too tired to encounter old acquaintances or make new i do not believe i could stand old peterkin who you say is a millionaire i suppose you want his influence your coachman told me you were running for congress and arthur laughed the old merry musical laugh which frank remembered so well then suddenly changing his tone he asked when does the next train from the east pass the station frank told him at seven in the morning and he continued please send the carriage to meet it gretchen will probably be there she was in the train with me and should have gotten out when i did but she must have been asleep and carried by gre gretchen who is she frank stammered while the cold sweat began to run down his back instantly into arthur's eyes there came a look of cunning as he replied she is gretchen see that the carriage goes for her will you his voice and manner indicated that he wished the conference ended and with a great sinking at his heart frank left the room and returned to his guests and his wife who had not seen the stranger when he entered the hall and did not know of arthur's arrival until her husband rejoined her he has come he whispered to her while she whispered back is he alone yes but somebody is coming to-morrow i do not know who gretchen he calls her was frank's reply gretchen mrs tracy repeated in a trembling voice who is she i don't know he merely said she was gretchen his daughter perhaps was frank's answer which sent the colour from his wife's cheeks and made her so faint and sick that she could scarcely stand and did not know at all what her guests were saying to her meantime arthur had changed his mind with regard to going down into the parlours and unlocking the trunk which held his own wardrobe he took out an evening suit fresh from the hands of a london tailor and arraying himself in it stood for a moment before the glass to see the effect 
everything was faultless from his necktie to his boots and opening the door he went into the hall which was empty except for harold who was sitting near the stairs half asleep again most of the guests were in the supper-room but a few of the younger portion were dancing and the strains of music were heard with great distinctness in the upper hall Ugh, arthur said with a shiver as he stopped a moment to listen while his quick eye took in every detail of the furniture and its arrangement in the hall that violinist ought to be hung the pianist too don't they know what horrid discord they are making it brings that heat back i believe upon my soul i shall have to bathe my face again suiting the action to the word he went back and washed his face for the third time then returning to the hall he advanced toward harold who was now wide awake and standing up to meet him as arthur met the clear brown eyes fixed so curiously upon him he stopped suddenly and put his hand to his head as if trying to recall something then going nearer to harold he said well my little boy what are you doing up here telling the folks which way to go was harold's answer who are you arthur continued what is your name harold hastings was the reply and instantly there came over the white face and into the large bright eyes an expression which made the boy stand back as the tall man came up to him and laying a hand on his shoulder said excitedly harold hastings he was once my friend or i thought he was but i hate him now and he was your father and amy crawford was your mother n'est-ce pas answer me yes sir yes sir but i don't know what you mean by nasa par harold said in a frightened voice and arthur continued as he tightened his grasp on his shoulder i hated your father and i hate you and i am going to throw you over the stair railing and seizing harold's coat collar he swung him over the banister as if he had been a feather while the boy struggled and fought and held on to the rails until help appeared in the person of frank tracy who came swiftly up the stairs demanding the cause of what he saw he had been standing near the drawing-room door and had caught the sound of his brother's voice and harold's as if in altercation excusing himself from those around him he hastened to the scene of action in time to save harold from a broken limb if not a broken neck what is it what have you been doing he asked the boy who replied amid his tears i hain't been doing anything only minding my business and he came and asked me who i was and when i told him he was going to chuck me over the railing darn him i wish i was big i'd lick him harold's cheeks were flushed and the great tears glittered in his eyes as he stood up brave and defiant and resentful of the injustice done him arthur are you mad frank said and whether it was the tone of his voice or his words something produced a wonderful effect upon his brother whose mood changed at once and who advanced towards harold with outstretched hand saying to him forgive me my little man i think i must have been mad for the instant there is such a heat in my head and the crash of that music almost drives me wild shall it be peace between us my boy it was next to impossible to resist the influence of arthur tracy's smile and harold took the offered hand and said between a sob and a laugh i don't know why you wanted to throw me downstairs nor i and i will make it up to you some time was arthur's reply as he took his brother's arm and said now introduce me to your guests the moment the gentleman disappeared from view harold's resolution was taken it was nearly midnight he was very tired and sleepy and his head was aching terribly he could not see the dancing he had had nothing to eat 
he had stood until his legs were ready to drop off and to crown all a lunatic had tried to throw him over the banister i won't stay here another minute he said and leaving the hall by the rear entrance and slipping down a back stairway he was soon in the open air and running swiftly through the park toward the cottage in the lane meanwhile the two brothers had descended to the drawing-room where arthur was soon surrounded by his old acquaintances whom he greeted with that cordiality and friendliness of manner which had made him so popular with those who knew him best every trace of excitement had disappeared and had he been master of ceremonies himself he could not have been more gracious or affable even old peterkin was treated with a consideration which put that worthy man at his ease and set his tongue in motion at first he had felt a little overawed by arthur's elegant appearance and had whispered to his neighbour that's a swell and no mistake i suppose that's what you call foreign get-up well me and ma is going to europe some time and hang me if i don't put on style when i come home i'd kind of like to speak to the feller i wonder if he remembers that i was running a boat when he went away if arthur did remember it he showed no sign when peterkin at last pressed up to him claiming his attention as captain peterkin of the liza Ann, the fastest boat on the canal and by george the all-firedest meanest too i guess he said but them days is past and the old captain is past with them i dabbed a little in isle and if i do say it i could almost buy up the whole canal if i wanted to but i ain't an atom proud and i don't forget the old boatin days and i've got the liza ann hauled up into my back yard as a relict the children use it for a playhouse but to me it is a a what do you call it a gall darn what is it the souvenir suggested arthur vastly amused at this tirade which had assumed the form of a speech and drawn a crowd around peterkin well yes i suppose that's it though tain't exactly what i was trying to think of he said it's a reminder and keeps down my pride for when i get to feelin pretty big after hearin myself pointed out as peterkin the millionaire i go out to that old boat in the back yard and says i liza ann says i you and me has took many a trip up and down the canal with about the wust crew and the wust hosses and the wust boys that was ever created and though you've got a new coat of paint on to you and can set still all day and do nothin well i can wear the finest of broadcloth and set still too it won't do for us to forget the pit from which we was dug and i don't forget it neither no more than i forget favours shown when i was not just cut you sir rode on the liza ann with that crony of yours hastings was his name and you paid me handsome though i didn't ask nothin and there's your brother frank i call him i don't forget that he used to speak to me civil when i was nobody and now though i'm a democrat as everybody who knows me knows and everybody most does know me for shannondale alas was my native town i'm going to run him into congress if it takes my bottom dollar and anybody republican or democrat who don't vote for him ain't my friend and must expect to feel the full heft of my my powerful disapprobation arthur said softly and peterkin continued thank you sir that's the word powerful sir powerful and he glowered threateningly at two or three young men in white kids and high shirt collars who were known to prefer the opposing candidate 
peterkin had finished his harangue and was wiping his wet face with his handkerchief when arthur who had listened to him with well-bred attention said i thank you captain peterkin for your interest in my brother who if he succeeds will i am sure owe his success to your influence and be grateful in proportion perhaps you have a bill you would like him to bring before the house no peterkin said with a shake of the head my bill is a little shaver eight or nine years old too young to go from home but and he lowered his voice a little i don't mind saying that if there should be a chance i'd like the post-office fast rate it would be a kind of hist you know to see my name in print captain joseph peterkin p m here the conversation ended and this aspirant for the post-office stepped aside and gave place to others who were anxious to renew their acquaintance with arthur it was between one and two o'clock in the morning when the party finally broke up and as the peterkins had been the first to arrive so they were the last to leave and mrs peterkin found herself again in the gentleman's dressing-room looking for her wraps but they were not there and after a vain and anxious search she said to her husband joe somebody has stole my things and twas my indian shawl too and gold-headed pin with a little diamond mrs tracy was at once summoned to the scene and the missing wraps were found in the ladies room where harold had carried them but the gold-headed shawl pin was gone and could not be found lucy the girl in attendance said when questioned that she knew nothing of the pin or mrs peterkin's wraps either except that on first going up after the lady's arrival she had found harold hastings fumbling them over and that she sent him out with a sharp reprimand harold was then looked for and could not be found for he had been at home and in bed for a good two hours clearly then he knew something of the pin and peterkin and his wife said good-night resolving to see the boy the first thing in the morning and demand their property when the peterkins were gone arthur started at once for his room but stopped at the foot of the stairs and said to his brother don't forget to have the carriage at the station at seven o'clock gretchen is sure to be there all right was frank's reply while mrs tracy asked who is gretchen if arthur heard her he made no reply but kept on up the stairs to his room where they heard him for a long time walking about opening and shutting windows locking and unlocking trunks and occasionally splashing water over his face and hands your brother is a very elegant-looking man mrs tracy said to her husband as she was preparing to retire quite like a foreigner but how bright his eyes are and how they look at you sometimes they almost make me afraid of him frank made no direct reply in his heart there was an undefined fear which he could not then put into words and with the remark that he was very tired he stepped into bed and was just falling into a quiet sleep when there came a knock upon his door loud enough it seemed to him to waken the dead starting up he demanded who was there and what was wanted it is i arthur said i thought i smelled gas and i have been hunting round for it there is nothing worse to breathe than gas whether from the furnace or the drain i hope that is all right yes frank answered a little crossly had a new one put in two weeks ago if there's gas in the main sewer it will come up just the same and i am sure i smell it arthur said i think i shall have all the waste pipes which connect with the drain cut off good night i'm sorry i disturbed you they heard him as he went across the hall to his room and frank was settling down again to sleep when there came a second knock and arthur said in a whisper i hope i do not trouble you but i have decided to go myself to the station to meet gretchen she is very timid and does not speak much english 
good-night once more and pleasant dreams to sleep now was impossible and both husband and wife turned restlessly on their pillows frank wondering what ailed his brother and dolly wondering who gretchen was and how her coming would affect them End of chapter eight